Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. LinkedIn presents... It's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Ben Mand. He's the CEO of Harmless Harvest, a pioneer in the U.S. refrigerated premium coconut water and plant-based dairy products. Harmless is built on a fundamental belief in constructive capitalism, an ecosystem-based approach to business that integrates all the stakeholders to deliver better products and outcomes for all. During his time at the helm of the company, he's more than doubled the business in four years. Ben has successfully transformed Harmless Harvest from a brand solely focused on coconut water to a leader in premium functional beverages and plant-based dairy. After only three years, new beverage and plant-based dairy products represent well over 20% of the company's sales. Harmless Harvest has radically streamlined its supply chain, reducing manufacturing costs in Thailand and the U.S. by 50% per unit, and ultimately transforming an unprofitable business into a durable and scalable one. Ben's commitment to the company's mission-led objectives has resulted in over $1 million invested in Fair for Life and community support initiatives, a transition to regenerative organic agricultural practices, and bringing Harmless Harvest dramatically closer to its goal of 100% zero waste. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ben Mann. Well, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks. 
I'm excited to get started and talk about the business and, and the, the growth that you guys are experiencing. Um, but before we go that, I hear you are phoneless and in London. Yes. Uh, what, I mean, what happened? <laughs> yes. That's a, it's a funny story and uh, kind of a, a little annoying, but I was out for dinner last night and was walking back to my hotel. I was at a busy intersection, a lot of people kind of bumping and some guy bumped me, said something and I didn't think much of it. I walked a block and I realized, wait a minute, my phone is not in my pocket, in my vest pocket. And I immediately turned around and went back. And of course, I didn't recognize anybody. Everybody's gone. And uh, so, yes, I am without phone. I've canceled my phone and my, yeah. my Apple wallet attached to it. So my credit cards and ID. And I've navigated today without a phone. And that my phone is really my watch as well. So I made my 9 a.m. appointment this morning on time, although I could not find it for the first 30 minutes because... It was some restaurant that the taxi dropped me off at and didn't exactly know where it was. And, and so I'd have to keep stopping in little coffee shops and log into the Wi-Fi with my computer and send an email to somebody to, uh, to you know, find out exactly where this place was and whatnot. So I would not do good reliving the 80s is what I've learned from today. <laughs> I think that, that that might apply to a lot of us, but 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 yeah, I, I hear you. Oddly enough, like that actually not the the bumping snatch, but a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, we were in London as well not too long ago. This must be a, like a a rash of these things, and he was checking his phone just standing on the street, and some guy came and took it out of his hand and ran off, um, and uh, couldn't couldn't find it caught the guy and police got involved but uh the phone i'm guessing somebody he handed it off to somebody else as he was running ah yes um, yeah evidently it's it happens a lot around here yeah well so from phoneless in london and let's go to business and and talk about how you became the ceo of harmless harvest and where'd you get your start and kind of what were some of the stops along the way to where you are now yeah, I would say my formative years in business were really at General Mills. So I spent a little over eight years at General Mills, going working in various divisions across shelf stable to refrigerated, frozen, did innovation, established business, customer assignments, all different types of consumers. And you know, marketing at General Mills is general management, right? You, you run the business and yes, functionally, you're in charge of marketing and brand, but you really learn how to run a business. And I would say that was really strong for me and really helped me become the leader I am today. From there, I went to the West Coast and I ended up working for a company called Plum Organics. And so at Plum, we did baby, toddler, and kid food And I did a range of of roles across the revenue side of the business. And so over the years, I gained more and more uh, responsibility and really fell in love with really taking my passion for business and my personal purpose, which is, you know, that I I believe business can be a force for good. And so, you know, Plum Organics was a a B Corp and certainly all organic, which, you know, fed into my own food philosophy and on food and, and its role in our health and wellness. So did that and had a, about a five and a half year run there, uh, knew I wanted to become a CEO. And instead of becoming the general manager there, I decided I actually wanted to move on. And, and you know, the opportunity at Harmless Harvest came about and, and uh, I pursued that and, and I'm fortunate 
to be here still uh, almost five years later. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I feel like I've run across Plum Organics in my business career life. Did they get acquired by somebody at some point? Like, yes, Campbell's or? Uh... Yeah, that's exactly right. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was there pre-acquisition and then Campbell's bought, uh, bought Plum Organics. Okay. Awesome. I had done some work with them and Campbell's is a while back and I was like, I know, I know that business and I can't remember which, which, which uh, company I was working with that was related to it, but that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a very good business and uh, a very interesting product too. Cause I was a, I'm a dad and have kids. And so it was something that stood out, right? Organic kid and baby food, if you will, um, yeah. among other things. But, um, well, let's talk a little bit about harmless harvest. What is it? What's the scope of the business today, if you don't mind? Yeah, so Harmless Harvest was started, actually started in kind of 2008, 2009 by Douglas and Justin, the, the founders. And they didn't start shipping the product until 2011, actually. And what's interesting oh. about this business is it started very differently than most other businesses. They you know, fundamentally believed in this business model of constructive capitalism. So the whole notion that not just investors should benefit from the success, but everybody should benefit. So starting with farmers all the way through, everybody you touch, interact with should benefit from the business. And so they had this notion, you know, this idea for that type of business, but they had no idea what to make. And that's kind of strange when you when you think about how <laughs> innovation really happens. Often there's a product or a service or something unique, you know, some problem that you uniquely can solve and you come up with this business. And then, you know, along the way you start figuring out like, Hey, I could do this, you know, more impactfully or anything like that. So they were in South America, just looking at different types of berries and juices and stuff. And it was pretty acidic. So they wanted to mix it with coconut water. As they spent more time looking at the different coconut waters, they realized, wow, these are not great coconut waters. We could do a better coconut water. And so that's, that's actually how they found the idea. They scoured the globe and found what they felt and what we still believe to, to this day, the best coconut for coconut water. Wow. I love it. I love it. And when you joined them on this journey, like what, what was the ask, if you will, or the focus that you had coming into the company? Yeah. So I joined in 2018. They had not had a CEO. They were doing a CEO search for about six months. So I took over a company that was in the, from a 40 to $50 million in gross sales, uh, not profitable at all, uh, not very strong margins, single digit kegger over the prior three years from a net sales growth and really a, a not very engaged, happy set of employees. So definitely a business with some challenges, but on the bright side, and this is really important in consumer packaged goods is, you know, we had a spectacular product, a product that was talk worthy that people loved and, and a mission that meant something. And those are two really important things. If you're going to build a durable, successful business. So the task was to really clean up the PL, get this business growing, make it profitable. And I joined, and this is typical for, I would say, any leader. You, you spend your first 60 to 90 days absorbing everything. And right. so certainly visiting farms and talking to farmers, uh, going to the factory, uh, customer visits. I did kind of marketing executions, you know, sampling and field events just to, you know, engage with a lot of consumers, spend time with employees, and, and really got a good understanding of the business. And it, it became very clear to me there were 
five priorities I laid out for the company, but two that I said uh, were most important. If we were successful at those two things, we would build a, a really successful business. And there were two things. One is what struck me was we were harvesting 40 million coconuts, taking the water out of those coconuts, and then transporting those, paying to transport, and then paying to deposit those coconuts in the landfill, which is not very harmless in my mind. Right. As well as, you know, when you're buying the most expensive coconut in the world, it's also not very financially smart. Um, And so in my mind, you know, one of the mandates was we had to, we had to monetize that coconut. Um, And from an innovation standpoint, we were four sizes of coconut water was 99.8% of our sales. And so we we needed to build some shoulders on the business and start really using that entire. So that, that was one priority was from an innovation standpoint, using that coconut. The second was I was quite surprised at just how inefficient our supply chain was and how we were bottling in Thailand, but then shipping whipped product over. And then we would, you know, we'd have it frozen and then we'd thaw it and we would date coat it. And it was all hand labor, taking the the bottles out, the date coating, case erecting, palletizing, everything here in the US and California and New Jersey. And it was, and we weren't, you know, like we weren't protecting the product as well as I thought we could. And so radically streamlining the supply chain and, and bringing those costs in line, as well as making it a more scalable business and uh, was definitely the second priority. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I, what I have to ask, <laughs> we may not get to it. I don't know, but like, what, what do you do with the rest of the coconut now? Ah, that's a great <laughs> question. Uh, it turns out we're really good at food and beverage. Uh, right. So using the coconut meat and the and the water is mm. reasonably straightforward. Yeah. We're not as good at developing furniture and planters mm. and biofuel and things like that with the husk. Right. But yes, so you know, for the husk, uh, we do biofuel. We do we can extract the fiber. We make compost with it for our farmers. We're working on potentially doing biochar, which would be very exciting uh, mm. for us. Uh, which would help fuel the plants, but then you use it in the farms and has a very positive carbon impact. So, you know, some really, I think, clever ideas. We're partnering with other companies to try and help us do that. So our, our goal is obviously to get there in the next uh, in the next couple of years. No. From a coconut meat standpoint, turns out we harvest this coconut young. And I talked in the beginning about how great it is for coconut water. Well, it turns out it's really great for uh, plant-based dairy and things like that because it's the coconut is young so the meat inside is still gelatinous and you can like puree it quite easily oh wow so, okay. yeah we we make yogurt with it is one of our, our key things so you know what's interesting when you make yogurt typically you take a pre-pasteurized liquid you had gums and stabilizers to give it you know backbone and a body and then you you culture it add some sugar things like that what we do is we take that freshly scooped coconut meat, we puree it, we add a little bit of water, a little bit of tapioca starch and cultures, and that's it. That's the plain. And then you add strawberry puree to make your strawberry, etc. So really simple using the entire coconut. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, I, I know we're going to talk about your expansion and the product innovation in a minute, but I have one more question around. You got started, you're doing all this insight, you're listening, learning the business, you came up with these five priorities, two of which you've talked about. And you mentioned earlier, like at the core of the business was just a great product. And was that the insight that you're working from to kind of start to build the business around? Or was there something, was there anything else as well that you were working with? 
Yeah, I mean, the first first and foremost is when you have one great product, you then oftentimes with consumers have permission to launch other items, so long as you can make great items and it, it right. certainly fit, it fills a need. But consumers are willing to give you a try because they love your your current product so much. So you, you just have to make sure you get that right and the product makes sense. As I got further into it, I realized how special this Nam Hum coconut was, both from not only the water, but then as I just talked about uh, the coconut meat and how that lent itself to a lot of different applications. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, well, let's, let's talk about, I mean, you're working with this coconut you found out that the the meat of the coconut had other uses. Like I imagine you could go a lot of different directions. Like yogurt would be one, but there's that's probably not the only one. How did you think about or how did how did you focus that new product innovation and the build out that you're focused on? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things, and I think this is just for any leader or even founders, as you're thinking about innovation, you're thinking about what you should do is there's this need to kind of create meaningful new items. And sometimes they just kind of flank around your core set. And in other cases, you launch into a wholly new category. And that, and that is a big decision because you have to talk to new buyers. Sometimes there's a different route to market. Like it, it can get complicated and you can quickly lose money if, if, if things don't go well. And, and for us, we debated whether we stay purely in beverage and do, and there are a number of items we do using the coconut meat in beverage, or do we, in addition to doing beverage, we launch into plant-based dairy. And when we looked at the landscape of plant-based dairy, we felt that while it was, and you know, like a little less focused and opening up a whole new front from a competitiveness standpoint, we felt that there were many, if not all of the, uh, the yogurts, the plant-based da- uh, dairy yogurts, were not very great items, right? So, you know, they may have had some functional benefits and they were plant-based, but most of them didn't taste very good. And we really felt that there was an opportunity to do a very premium, high-quality product. And that's really fits with the DNA of, of Harmless, of just doing a really premium product that really delights uh, consumers. And so we ultimately decided to open up a whole new category for ourselves. Love it. I love it. I mean, it, 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 to your point, and, but now you're in multiple categories. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Multiple buyers, even if you're in the same distribution channel, and maybe maybe in some cases you're in different distribution channels now or, or a wider set of distribution channels. How did you solve that next, that next piece, if you will? And was it easier? I'm curious if it was easier because the product was just that good. 
that having a great product can help you overcome a lot of challenges. And I, and I kind of alluded to that in the very beginning, just about harmless harvest coconut water. Like there were a lot of challenges on the business, but we had an amazing product and you can overcome a lot if you have an amazing product. And so from a plant-based dairy standpoint, because we developed a really great product, it, it definitely gives you a leg up from a competitiveness standpoint. You know, it's different, right? Because we are really small in plant-based right. dairy in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. And the cost to compete is higher. So when you think about whether it be paid search or whatever it may be, we know that those search terms and some of the, th and, and, and the buys that we make on plant-based dairy are much more expensive than on, on the beverage side. So what that means then is I'm a very pragmatic innovator and, and just kind of uh, from a growth mindset. Uh, somebody else coined this term. I called it something similar, but just, you know, I believe more in, I would always call it sustainable growth, but, you know, somebody called it uh, durable growth. And I like that better. But this idea of like, you can expand things really quickly, but you certainly increase the risk of failure. And I prefer a more steady approach. You know, it's not always the case. It depends on the competitive dy dynamics and how much first mover advantage gives you and how fast things will, uh, will, will develop. You know, there's a lot that goes into that thinking. But in the case of plant-based dairy for us, we have been more pragmatic in our expansion. So we've re we launched with Whole Foods, but then we really focused on the natural channel. And as we've refined, gotten our, our manufacturing down, the quality down, we've gotten to longer shelf life as we produce it, it with, with the same quality. Now we're ready and we've got our velocities at the very top of the category. Now we're ready to start expanding into more traditional grocery outlets or mass versus just staying in the natural channel. I love that. I, I really like the pragmatic approach because to your point, like you're you're getting a, a small toehold, if you will, not a foothold, but a toehold, and you're learning along the way, right? Yep. To refine that product, that proposition, the to your point, like, I mean, the buyers really care about the velocities on shelf. Um, at the end of the day, you have to have strong velocity. If you have strong velocity, you can expand distribution. Right. And at the end of the day, you also, you, you have a relationship with that buyer. Mm -hmm. They're trusting that you're bringing good items that are going to add to their category growth versus if you just develop a new product and then you try to take it everywhere, there's a higher chance of failure because it hasn't, you haven't incubated and kind of iterated on the product with just a, a small set of retailers. And, and so you increase the chance of uh, fa failure there, as well as you have to have very considerable resources to make sure you support the item if you go more broadly in the beginning. And, you know, when you're a smaller company and maybe you're not quite profitable or barely profitable, it's not like you're sitting on extra tens of millions of dollars. to <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. And I, my friend who's been on the show, but everyone talks about him, you know, Byron Sharp with the mental availability, physical availability. It's really hard. <laughs> to, you can't to do physical availability like you're doing and growing your distribution. And I appreciate you telling the story about like how it has to happen, especially for a small but yet growing brand. And I see that a lot with us as I meet with entrepreneurs and advise and whatnot. I, and what I see so often is people want to just they want to take it everywhere, right? You know, right, they want right. to like you know grow and and it's there are only there are a few instances where that definitely makes sense, but oftentimes it's a it's a more flawed strategy that has a, a pretty high uh, risk profile. 
Yeah. Well, it can, as you were talking about brand stretch and stretching in other categories, you know, if you do it wrong, the negative feedback on your core product can be pretty strong too. Yeah. Um, you have to be careful of that. But, and that um, buyer, the next time you come with your shiny new innovation, do you think he or she <laughs> take that item right away? Not as likely. But if you bring, if you repeatedly bring items that do well, then they start asking, what's next? What do you got next? What do you got next? And that's, that's where you want to be. It takes some patience in the beginning. But once you get in that cycle where you have a pipeline within your retail ecosystem, so whether you're testing stuff in e-com, being more digitally native, or you're testing things in just a specific retailer or a specific region, we have a pipeline of products that are not in broad distribution, but are we're iterating, making sure we get them right. Some of them go away. Some of them stick. The ones that stick that we feel like promise, then we start expanding. Yeah. Well, and just a quick look at your website. You see you've got coconut water core product that you started with. You've got a coconut smoothies, dairy-free yogurt alternative. You've got a, a yogurt drink as well. So you're really, you've got some really interesting, different differentiated products too. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, we're doing a lot of firsts. So, you know, we, we, we have a proprietary microfiltration pro uh, process. So, you know, people ask like, what, why is your, why is your coconut water so good? What, what makes it different? And there, there are two things that make it different. One is we only buy the non-pump coconut. So versus buying a blend of inexpensive coconuts and just taking that coconut water, which is not as good quality, we buy only the non-home and we harvest it young. And the second thing is instead of thermally processing it, you know, like cooking it, we do this proprietary filtration process. So it's a non-thermal process and our kill step is to just, is to filter it. So, you know, what you're left with is an amazing product. Well, it turns out, I mean, you can filter coconut water, but when you want to do coconut water with pulp, pulp doesn't exactly go through the filters. So that took us a few years to be able to do because we, we had to invest in some special capital to be able to still microfilter, but then dose in the, uh, the little dices of coconut meat. So you can have coconut water with pulp. Mm. And now we just launched coconut water with aloe pulp. So mm. again, just keep building on now using those capabilities starting to do different benefits, different ingredients, and starting to target some sleepier segments of the category. You know, in our mind, aloe is a pretty sleepy segment, and it has a real issue in that typically when you look at the ingredient label, it's water and sugar, the first two ingredients. And they're like 50 grams of sugar in, these, in, 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 a, in this aloe. And, and people say, oh, it tastes good. It's like, yeah, it's just, you know, water and sugar is the right. ingredients. Yeah. So, you know, we do no added sugar. It's just the coconut water now with the aloe pulp. And so you just have a naturally sweetened, hydrating coconut water, but now with the uh, with the aloe pulp. Love it, I love it. Well, what I mean, it's amazing that you know, just like the product invention <laughs> process that you've gone through. What's been the results on the business? How, how is business today? Business is is really good. I would say you know if you fast forward to today, more than twenty percent of our sales are now coming from things outside of just pure coconut water. Mm. We are, you know, we've right now we're tracking at a, almost double our gross margins than we were four years ago. Nice. We have, we're profitable for the first time and uh, employee engagement is really strong. We've built a really good ecosystem that you know, people really enjoy. It's, you know, kind of a, a work hard, play hard, so to speak. You know, it's a very safe, you know, kind of like trusting, open, candid Kind of environment uh, that's you know really frankly you need to be innovative to right. make good decisions and from a mission standpoint i'd say this is 
we were doing some good things then, and we've we're doing amazing things now. So we're you know, we've made one of the first decisions I made on the business was to start transitioning the company to regenerative organics. So I made that decision in 2018 when the company was still very unprofitable, and I committed long term dollars. In fact, we'll spend millions of dollars to transition. But we now have 25% of our farms are already leveraging regenerative practices. So we've got beekeeping, nitrogen fixing, cover crops and cash crops, composting, things like that on the farms. By the end of this year, we hope to be at 50%. Wow. We transitioned all of our beverages back in 2021, the bottles to all recycled PET, so no virgin plastic. And so you know, certainly addressing that waste issue by making sure plas- that the plastic is recycled and that we only use recycled plastic. Uh, we now have reached, I think we're now over 40,000 community members that have impacted by Fair for Life. You know, we've got a price floor that we will not go below and we set aside money for every coconut we buy. So yes, yeah, we've really come a long way and really driving impact both top line and, and, and re- literally all, all levers, right? right? Top line, bottom line, and community and environment. I love it. I love it. Well, let's Let's talk a little bit about the marketing aspects uh, and the, the campaigns and the go market activity to make this stuff fly off the shelf. <laughs> so can, can you share some examples of the type of marketing that you've been doing? Yeah. So, you know, my, I have a personal motto and I kind of use that just from a marketing standpoint, but my personal motto is, is responsibly irreverent. And it is also my view in marketing is, you know, you have to, especially if you, I mean, unless You've got the kind of money that like a Nike or, you know, General Mills that, you know, that the budgets I used to have at General Mills, right. uh, you know, if you're not dealing with those kinds of budgets, uh, you really have to break through, right? You have to be uh, talk worthy. And so that is just a fundamental approach I have in, in marketing. I would say we did really transform how we market when I joined. So when I took over the company, we were, the, the campaign was all about the farmers. It was just some out-of-home billboards with pictures of farmers and just kind of really just touting the fact that we're organic and and that we work with farmers, right? Right. And for me, it didn't make a ton of sense because, first of all, Harmless Harvest as a brand name already conveys quite a bit. And the moment of discovery and trial is not about the farmers. It's actually about hydration and the quality. And what keeps people is that great quality, but also what we stand for. And so the message of, you know, like the reinforcing our mission credentials is great for driving even stronger loyalty, but also advocacy. People talk, people shit, like tell their friends, their, you know, who, whoever it may be, when they find a product that's not only tastes so amazing, but then reflects their personal ideals of, of doing right by environment, doing right by communities. And so that was the first fundamental shift that we made was we needed to really get back to kind of that point of hydration and, and start building more of a lifestyle brand. Mm. And so with that, there are a couple things that I would say I think is important. One is and I've felt this from my time at uh, Harmless, is you know, we're, we're past the point of interruption-based marketing. Uh, to me, effective uh, marketing is when you are part of the conversation, part of the entertainment when, when you're engaging with consumers. And so aligning yourself with like-minded brands, 
being at the right events, having, you know, if you're in social media, just a little bit more entertainment, a little not taking yourself so seriously and having a little fun with it, but certainly getting your brand out there. And less about, let's say, interruption-based kind of banners or just always like sharing a key benefit or a message, right? It's mm. that consumers are not necessarily looking for that. And so that is, you know, I think from a philosophy standpoint is important. And so with that brings certainly word of mouth, things that drive word of mouth. So whether you're using influencers or do some sort of like field activation or whatever, driving kind of a, a notable experience is, is certainly important. When you think about it, given hydration is, is what our key benefit, it is about then engaging and being at those points, right? So being at the point of sweat or being there late night or early morning when you maybe had a few too many drinks and are looking to kind of deal with that, that hangover or head off a, a hangover. And so you know, some of the camp campaigns we've done have really targeted that with whether it be sidewalk art or stickers posters in, in, in bars or you know, places where people are consuming alcohol, certainly social media and digitally targeted, both when you're in and around a bar or a place of where you're consuming with mm. just witty, fun kind of uh, content, you know, kind of more of the man on the street kind of interviewing people, you know, the next early the next morning, like a Saturday morning or something like that. So just having fun with that and, and reinforcing, you know, what it does is it reinforces what your what your product is for hydration, uh, but at the same time can be a little bit funny, a little witty, and it kind of builds that kind of lifestyle. That kind of a, it's a it's a brand that I want to be associated with. Yeah. Uh, so we've we've done that. We've done four twenty event. You know where we had bowls of yogurts. We've again it goes back to this responsibly irreverent, like not taking ourselves too seriously, being part of the conversation and culture, and being relevant to the moment. I love it. I love it. And it, it's very true. Very true. I mean, all the examples you just described as well. Curious, like, I mean, you, you mentioned you don't have the budgets of the General Mills or P&G. How, how do you think about maximizing or your, your impact on that tighter budget? Yeah, I think there, there are a few things. I said one of them already. It's just you need to be breakthrough and noteworthy. So if it's, if you're, you know, I always kind of feel like if, if, if you're comfortable with an idea today, it's boring tomorrow, right? So, <laughs> so you, you want to try and, you know, sometimes you have to push the boundaries a bit of just feeling a little uneasy, right? You, you never want it to be offensive, right? So you're always, you have some basic kind of filters of just not being offensive, but just making sure that you, you're, you're going to, that you have a chance at breaking through. But beyond that, you know, I think if you're a small brand and you're trying to have impact, it's, you want to Think about not spreading your dollars, yeah, maybe throughout the year. If you have a couple bigger moments where you try to stack a number of things, try mm. to find things that work with one another. So if you're, doing, if you're doing an activation and you have influencers, making sure then you have some media to help boost that. Maybe you're dropping some PR at the same time. Maybe I'm speaking on this at that time. And you've got social media all geared against that. Um, you might have point of sale type of material. So stacking things around the same time will help amplify as much as possible. And then certainly trying to break through from a, from a, a creative standpoint. No, that makes sense. And I mean, hitting on all of those various tactics surrounded by an idea or a moment in time makes a lot of sense, especially if you're trying to amplify the limited dollars that you have from a media perspective, word of mouth. Influencer co-opting audiences through influencers and 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 the like uh, has to help. 
has to happen. Yeah, and, and when you think about it, your creative idea, if you can, and for us, quote unquote, man on the street, the morning, mm-hmm. you know, Saturday morning is a, an appropriate time or being at the bar or whatever. So you're, you're kind of at that point where your product would actually benefit the people there, right? right. So it's yeah. also thinking about just where, when you're placing media, where you're placing media, where you have activations, timing of activations, things like that. Let you have your, the, the channels you use and stuff reinforce your overall message. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Well, it's fascinating to hear your journey that you've been on to help grow this business, uh, improve all the levers that you talked about, top line, bottom line, and the community impact. I'd love to switch gears and talk a little bit more about you as an individual. And uh, my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on the show is what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? That's a great question. So I, I'm Scotty, right? I'm originally from Wisconsin. <laughs> I um, love that. <laughs> and I grew up in rural Wisconsin as a first generation college student. So it was in, you know, both my parents grew up on farms and then uh, we lived in an old farm. Not really, we had one sheep, strangely enough, but, and, and a lot of, lots of cats. So we didn't farm ourselves, but we didn't, it was definitely paycheck to paycheck. Every Saturday we went to the dump not only to take our garbage to the dump, but also to search for treasures. Uh, my first bike came out of the dump. We fixed it up and that was my first bike. So I, I definitely did not grow up with very much. And that really had a profound impact on me. So growing up, you know, I had to go home and do chores and I would have to cook for the family and I would have to, we heated our house with firewood. So, you know, we chopped wood, I would haul in wood in the you know dead of winter to heat our house. My bedroom was on the second floor, we couldn't afford to heat the second floor. So uh, literally, there was frost on my walls, you could see your breath, the carpeting in my bedroom, this is funny, at the carpeting store, they have all those remnants. Yes. And so my stepdad bought all the remnants and nailed them to the floor. And that was my carpeting. So I had all these different patchwork of colors of of carpeting was my my flooring. Same thing when when we needed a new roof, we bought all the clearance shingles, and they didn't have enough of any one color or anything. So we had a patterned <laughs> roof. It was it, the house was really a dump. Um, but, um, yeah, and and so I worked hard. I I, right. I worked hard as a kid. And today, nothing phases me, right? Yeah. And I always feel if there's a will, there's a way, right? That everything can be solved. And so I have this, this unbridled optimism that anything is possible. And it is, I mean, not everything, but you know, it's, it, it, I think it's healthy. Now I have to surround myself with some people who are more realistic and whatnot. And you know, I think <laughs> as leaders, it's always important to surround yourselves with people who have complementary skills. And so that tireless work ethic and making things possible and stuff like that has really served me well. Oh, I love it. I love it. And thank you for sharing. I mean, it's um, where we grow up and how we grow up, I think, defines more of us than we, we like to let on to some days. And it definitely sounds like the, the scrappiness, the, uh, the uh, perseverance and the eternal optimism of things, things can go the way you want them to go uh, definitely came out from that. Yeah. Well, if you were starting this journey all over again, what would you tell your younger self? Uh, that's a great question. I would tell myself to have 
confidence in myself and that, mm-hmm. that you can do it. So my first job out of, well, my first job outside of mowing lawns and, and, and babysitting and stuff like that was at a private golf and country club in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. So, and that's where I realized, wow, you can get an education and do something besides like work in a factory. So that's when I decided I was going to go to college and I applied and went to Madison. But my first job out of Madison was in consulting. And I remember very distinctly, it scared the hell out of me at the time in that I remember we're at this first kind of social event, all the new analysts and whatnot. And I remember somebody asking me where I went to school. And I said, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And this, this, this consulting firm really only recruited at Ivy League schools and Michigan and Northwestern and Madison. And the person was like, oh, I didn't know we recruited there. And I was like, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> and I remember she, you know, she sang to me, well, I guess it's pretty good for a public school, isn't it? And I was like, I was so intimidated, right? I was, <laughs> I was like, I was literally freaking out. I'm like, I am going to fail at this job. Like these people are so smart. I remember this one, another woman, you know, she'd always tell me like all the different summer camps she used to do every summer. Uh, you, mm. know, like, you know, went yeah. to Berkeley, I did math, I did whatever. And I remember once saying, it's funny, you know, I was drinking beer in a cornfield running and then running <laughs> from the cops. That's funny how we all end up in the same place. So, what, what I would tell myself is don't be kind of intimidated by that and, you know, just, you know, have confidence in yourself. And I, I, I definitely learned over time that I didn't have to be intimidated and that, you know, I'm, I'm also a smart person. Uh, we all have different smarts, but in, in my younger years, I didn't know. I was definitely intimidated. I love I, I love that story and your, your your notion about drinking beer and running from cops. Give me think of my my own upbringing. <laughs> uh, I also I, I didn't grow up maybe as in a as rural setting as you, but definitely small town in the South in North Carolina. And uh, there are many a weekends of um, sorry, mom, if you're listening, but, uh, <laughs> drink drinking beer and and uh, doing mudding in the. Uh, and with our four-wheel drive vehicles, which I did not own one because I, I was not privileged enough, but riding along with other people. And one night the cops came. So we yeah. got a little talking to, but they, it was a small town. So they, they let us go with a stern talking to, but um, yeah. yeah. It's, you oh. know, certainly um, <laughs> if my kids hear this or something, I will, I will deny it. <laughs> any, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> there was some other man, but uh, awesome. Well, on a marketing front, to round out this interview, a couple more questions. I'm curious if there's like a topic that you're trying to learn more about or you think marketers just need to know more about? I think you just how do you leverage technology to more seemingly authentically, you know what I mean? Like be in the right places and be part of the conversation, right? You know, in the sense of, I talk about like, it's not interruption-based marketing. It's about being relevant in the moment, being thoughtful, being funny, being whatever at the right moments. And being able to do that in a digital ecosystem seamlessly with then live events and things like that are, I think are really important. And I think that is paramount to really building a successful lifestyle brand. And so understanding how technology and how all of that can be done to drive that impact. Love it. And if you, I don't know if there are personally on your side, like brands or causes or companies that you follow, you're trying to take notice of or think other people should, anything come to mind? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like this is a, an obvious one, but Patagonia. I mean, I, right. I really, I do believe. I'm, I'm so one of the things that also sticks with me just from a, being a kid is like I'm a maximizer, right? So mm-hmm. you know, I feel everything's possible, but I also, you know, like I try to get every. I don't waste anything. Nothing in the refrigerator gets wasted. Much in much to my family's chagrin. <laughs> so I, I love. I do fundamentally believe businesses can have a positive impact and can be successful. And, and I think Patagonia certainly embodies that uh, through and through and is probably the most famous brand with that regard. But I think there are so many other uh, companies out there as well. And, and Harmless is one of those. And I, you know, like I did not found it. It's so the makings were there, but I'd like to believe that I have a strong hand in my team and I have a strong hand in, in furthering its impact. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And if you like Patagonia, I've said this to other folks that reference them as well. You should check out a company called Cotopaxi. Yes. They have a fantastic business. I think pretty similar in philosophy to Harmless Harvest. So definitely somebody you should check out. And the founder was on the program years ago. So he's a a pretty interesting character just in and of himself. (laughs) Well, last question for you. What is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Listen, I, at this point, in some regards, I feel like I'm a dinosaur, right? When it comes to <laughs> marketing, right? Yes, I get strategy and creative and all of that type of stuff. And I understand the types of levers, but the people on the front lines of marketing as they're working with influencers and the various aspects of, of influence and digital and whatnot and social media, they are critical. And I think sometimes we as more seasoned marketers, I think there, is a, there was a time probably decades ago, but certainly there was a time where the most seasoned was the wisest and the best and the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And those days are gone, right? And, and I think we, as you move along in your career, I think it's important to really make sure that you're asking good questions, you're aligning on strategy, aligning on kind of what you're tr- the impact you're trying to make or the desired outcome. But then you really have to rely and rely on the teams on how to build it, how to do it, how to execute it, because the types of tools and the types of things you do change so quickly. And you really have to just hand it over to them to do. And you, and you just kind of iterate and keep getting better and better. And so marketing to me is a muscle and it's a muscle that the, the organization has to build. Whereas in the past, I think that muscle really resided with the most senior people. And, and now I think it's, you know, with the broader organization and very much at the front lines. Love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.